0: Be Fabulous, with Vibs and Vicky. The ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders. Those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world.
1: Welcome to episode two of our fabulous person's guide to the future of work in 2025. In episode one, we dove into The post-COVID world and what was going to rebound, what was going to stick, a hybrid work world, what does that all mean? And today we're diving into our second theme, which is all about emotional Kevlar, a really, really important concept that we all need to get better at as we think about our, our days and months and weeks and years ahead. So Vips, why is emotional Kevlar so important to us right now? You know what? What are we
0: experiencing? Yeah. Good afternoon, Vicky. This is a nice one to do. You know, when I think of Kevlar, um, for those of you who may not know what Kevlar is, you know, it's used in it's used in bulletproof vests, amongst other things. And that's that's really, you know, the essence of what we were trying to get across was the idea that that we're all going to just be faced with so much more change, more whether we call it feedback, whether we call it criticism, whether we call it things that we don't like, um, we're going into an environment, you know, how we end up, quote unquote, returning to work, um, how certain industries change uh, or, or reemerge, as some may from you know the sort of phoenix is rising from the ashes. It's just gonna be a really uncomfortable period with, with um, we're gonna feel offended we're gonna feel undervalued. People are gonna say things to us that are just tone deaf and stupid. We are very um, externally, you know, sensitive to, you know, unconscious bias and, and our own habits that may be, um, you know, offending other people. And so we're with so, so much heightened, um, the amplitude and the environment is so hot then it's almost impossible to not get shot from time to time and feel like you've done something wrong. Uh, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Or I can't believe the other person got offended. Or why is my boss being such a prick? Uh, you know, it's just, it's going to be more and more and more and more and more of that. So what what we thought was, you know, emotional Kevlar or building emotional Kevlar for yourself is going to be, uh, and it's always been an important skill to develop, but it's like, 10x more important to build over the next three, four, five years because we, we're just living in a very um, polarized and maybe even slightly angry world. And,
1: and a lot more sensitive. I mean, hyper-sensitive. You and, I have, you and I have both experienced this over the last year where we've said something not meaning any offense and there's, there's, been, there's been a bit of backlash and there was no ill intent, but everything is heightened right now
0: sure and that's you know that's everywhere around us i mean you know it this must be a terrible time to be a stand-up comic because <laughs> it's like you know unless you're like a you know elite stand-up comic I, it's it's almost impossible for you to practice your craft right now without offending someone um you know but it, or maybe that's maybe that's the point that's what they enjoy yeah. the most <laughs> yeah well i know but then you know un- until people you know but they can destroy careers by bad tweets and other other forms of action that are more violent in nature I, you know it, it's just the point being, this stuff is around to stay, and you're right, it's so much easier to trip over.
1: So, you know, Vips, as we're thinking about emotional Kevlar, we have a framework that we want to talk people through. Do you want to introduce the framework?
0: Yeah, I do. And, you know, as I was, you know, before I go straight into the framework, Vicky, I probably just worthwhile saying, just to make this relevant for some people, um, you know, I think super, you know, people on that superstar performer journey are also going to be feeling this. You know, they're going to feel it through you know, feedback, why aren't you working more? Why did you get this task wrong? Uh, Why didn't you see that come? So I think, I think you're going to see it more because managers and executives are more stressed out, more frustrated, more just um, not feeling a sense of safety in their own roles in their own organizations as things move and change and expectations increase. So, so you know, you're going to be feeling it more at that level. You're definitely going to be feeling it more at that middle management level where you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place that also awesome manager top-notch exec level. And then if you're at, you know, if you're a very senior leader, you, you know, you're having to engage in social and political issues and, and, and you know, whatever they may be uh, that's going on in the world right now. And that's just not what most business leaders were trained for, you know, and they're having to make, they have to take stands on, on you know, on complex social, political, economic issues that are that you know, they are <laughs> I guarantee you they didn't study for or think they should be acting as the moral compass of a country or a or a globe on. And that's and that's even, hard. That's and super even hard. worse
1: even worse than that, Vips, up until a year ago it was an HR no no. There was too much risk associated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in fact, in fact they tell you not to, right? Uh, the, tell you not the, to. the legal and compliance crew would uh yeah, we would tell you to avoid it like the plague. Yeah, yeah. and now yeah. we don't really—it's—it's—we don't really have a choice because the default has now changed. If you don't speak up, you're complicit. Whereas before, if you didn't speak up, then just because you didn't have anything to add, yeah, and, and
1: especially if you're a white a white guy, a white girl,
0: sure, yeah, yeah, I, and yeah, and then and then and then you layer
1: on what's what's happening, certainly where we are here in the U.S the explosive nature of coming out of COVID, you know, I don't know about you, but where I am in California, I mean, the roads are back to, to pre-COVID, you know, it's the hours and hours of commute again. It's just the busyness is happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So in fact, just prior to recording this, we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing that occur. Um, you know, we're seeing a post-COVID reaction to the world of football, soccer, as we got, I mean, there's people there's people rioting in the streets in London today. Like you know, it's it's yeah. It's a it's so so tense, um, and all of these things are massive geopolitical issues. And you've got you know politicians weighing in and business leaders weighing in. And I mean, it's just it's just. Anyway, the point I'm trying to get across is this: that it doesn't really matter where you are in the hierarchy um, of your organization, where you are in your career. You're gonna you know I, we should probably have taken kids aside in. In in school and college and and maybe maybe done this a bit more as part of the emotional social uh, learning curricula because it's going to be a lot more important going forward from this point from this point forward so uh, yeah
1: and then adding on just the family dynamic you know with with COVID having locked so many families in their homes over the last year you know I I I have um, people in my my world who are just dying to get back out and get back into the normal way of things so they're feeling
0: they're missing they're people. ready to explode yeah they're missing people I, I, everyone's ready to explode I, I have one client who's playing it very uber safe yeah and and then you know they're not expecting they've, they've kind of they're not expecting people to go back to work till the end of next year right and that's that's not been accepted really well in the majority of it because they're like no I can't take it anymore you yeah. know get me back get me back around my colleagues again so you know you got you got it happening all over the place um, and sometimes it's you know coming from a very internal place as well uh, you know feeling lonely um, you know h- humans are inherently social creatures yeah um,
1: well there's there's a number of people who um, who live alone and work was their social outlet
0: yeah. I'm an introvert, and I can't handle it no more. Like I, I just, I am so happy that we're going to uh, Miami um, post post vaccination and everything else next month because uh, to do a to, to do a workshop because it's uh, it, uh, just it'd just be so nice to see you. I haven't seen you physically for a year and a half. It's extraordinary. It's insane, Vibs.
1: Yeah, it's the longest
0: we haven't seen each other. This is not good. Yeah. There'll be big hugs. That's for sure. Big big hugs. Big hugs. <laughs> big hugs. Okay. Um, so emotional Kevlar. So you know. You, you talked about the framework, Vicky. So, um, you know, I really thought about how to put this together. And, you know, I can't take all the credit for this. I kind of, um, um, you know, like with a lot of these tools and ways of thinking about things, you know, sometimes you, you know, you, you try to work on the, you know, we stand on the shoulders of greats who have come before us. And, and this really came from some work that was done by um, Rivik and Chat, which I've taken some creative liberty around and we're going to kind of do that in our fabulous way to try to breathe life into the subject and and so this is really what should you be what do you have to do as a fabulous person to develop emotional kevlar that's what this is okay so we're gonna we're gonna take turns vicky i'm gonna go with number one and then sort of set you off so first one
1: actually actually it's the other way around vips i'm gonna go first and then we're gonna give it back to you
0: all right so why don't you go first then
1: All right, so the, the first one we are calling uh, redirecting the viable. It's, it's how do you get the internal regulation right and how do you channel your emotions? Now, now let's think about this. Let's think about those emotions. It starts all the way back 50,000 years when we used to live uh, in caves, when we lived to live in tribes. We felt a very, very strong need to feel safe because if we got kicked out of that tribe, it'd be very hard to get food and we literally in those days could die. So we, we learned at that stage to figure out what we should say, what we shouldn't say, how we should fit in, what was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable. And, and you feel this today, even as young kids, young kids show up as these beautiful babies. They show up with every emotion possible and they learn very quickly what parents think are okay and what things aren't okay. And they learn to shut down the parts of them that parents are not okay with, the loudness, the noise, the crying, which is a very natural instinct, but it's something that drives parents crazy naturally. So it all gets shut down. And then as we go through life, we learn those cues as well. And many of us enter the corporate world and the professional world. And there what's valued is us being heads on legs. The actual body is not welcomed, it's not experienced. We're not allowed to talk about our feelings and what's going on with us as much it's all about results, it's all about efficiency, it's all about outcomes, yet we are these human beings with these intense feelings, and they are guiding us at every point possible. And what we find is if we aren't able to tap into them, you know, I know for myself, there were many years when people would say, how are you feeling? And (laughs) it was kind of numb, it was hard to know what I was feeling, because I never allowed myself to truly feel the depth of my, my emotions. And I've got clients like that today who are going through some tough stuff. It's like, how are you feeling? They really don't know because they're not tuned into their bodies. They're not embodied in that same way. They literally are heads on legs. And when we don't do that, we end up finding a way to numb in in all sorts of different ways through the daily drugs, our caffeine, our alcohol, our sugar. That was my personal craziness. Our, Our addiction to work, our busyness, anything that stops us from being still in the moment and feeling what we need to feel and breathing through it. Because when we do that, it passes. But when we don't do that, it gets suppressed. And at some point, it comes out. We don't know what that looks like. But that definitely comes out. So the, the goal here, as we think about this world that we live in, with the polarization and the noise and the, the social impulses and what we're seeing on social media, is how do we get good at channeling those emotions, feeling them, and then channeling them? So we're not suppressing them. We're not holding them down but we're making sure that we can feel what needs to be felt and then think about what are we trying to achieve and who do we let in on what we're feeling and how do we channel them in the right way? So that's what I think about the first one, Vips, when I think about redirecting that fireball and channeling it for the right purpose.
0: Yeah. You know, a, a sort of a visual way, of, like how I visualize that is always... You know, I, you know me, I think in curves and diagrams is generally how I think of things. And if you imagine like a curve with big highs and big lows, yeah, I think about I think about this one is how, how do you sort of when you realize you've gone beyond a certain threshold on a high, how do you temper that so as not to create chaos for someone else? And when you're at low of lows, how do you also temper that? So your 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 the amplitude is maybe a little bit more even throughout, while not while recognizing that it exists and then using it in a positive way, and that's kind of the way I look at it. It's like when, so that it's kind of, that's kind of how you can have passion without going, like too over far. the top, right? Yeah. And how you can have, you know, and you can have negative passion without that going too far either. And it stops. It doesn't turn into hate or anger. Um, and and so I think that's a real fine line. I think of it as truncating. The top of the top and the bottom of the curves is kind of how I think about it. It's another way for other people. Same thing, just different way of visualizing it.
1: That's good. That's good. So, let's talk to us about the the, the next component as we think about emotional kevlar.
0: Yeah. So this is um, you know, this is the. Wait a minute. Why am I getting riled up? <laughs> okay. So we all get triggered. We all get triggered. I, I can. I can trigger my son super easily. By asking him how his last test went at school. Right? <laughs> it just, it just triggers him. He loses his mind. Right? Cause he cause he thinks I am, he thinks I'm checking up on him and that I don't whatever he says is never good enough, right? Meanwhile, I'm just trying to make conversations. I don't know what else to make a conversation with a 14-year-old about. So it's the only thing that I know he's doing, because I get a report on an email to say we had a test today. Right? But the point I'm trying to get across is. Years of, therapy years, of thera- years of therapy, years of therapy, years of therapy therapy to come. You know, it's going to cost half a million dollars in therapy. You know, in years to come, no doubt, right? For Jay, but but the point is, like, um, there are things that trigger me as well, uh, and and so it's a skill to recognize. Wait a second, why the hell am I being triggered? You know, and 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 it's always different. You know, it's but the but the act of learning how to intercept that trigger is really stops your impulses from getting away from themselves, okay? So this is, this is, this is the way to stop your internal, regu- internal emotional regulation from getting out of control in the first place. It's by recognizing that you're about to get tripped. Someone's going to say something that's going to wipe me out. I'm going to go into a performance review and my boss is going to tell me that my project was really poor last time or, or I'm not going to get promoted or the pay rise is only $5,000 and not $25,000 or whatever, right? And I know I'm going to get triggered, Right? You just know it because that's a possible outcome. So the question is then when that happens, ha, you know, trapping it, and it's, an e- it's as easy as saying, oh, I, I have put a break point in my mind and if that happens, I'm just going to redirect it and I'm going to look down or I'm going to write it down or I'm just going to smile or I'm going to have a sip of water. But the, 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 the second you intercept the trigger and direct it to something else, our prefrontal cortex will engage and it stops being a limbic response. And if we can do that, like, you know, the adrenaline, the chemicals in our brain don't take over and, and we, don't, we, don't, we don't lose our shit, right? And we can then, we can then say, well, all right, you know, I, you know, I was about to lose my mind and I'm still internally going to lose my mind when I get home, but at least that won't show up in the next five minutes while I'm sitting in a meeting with my boss and end up and ultimately end up showing, providing them more evidence that their decision was right. Right, and that's 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 what intercepting the trigger is all about, and it can be anything. Um, we we you know, in fact, it's a good piece of homework for people to think about: is what triggers me? Because um, then, if you set a goal every month to have one less thing trigger you over a twelve-month period, you'd have twelve less things triggering you, and your emotional regulation will go up. Okay,
1: that's beautiful, and, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna add to that. So, part two, if you want to go there, is. I like to think of our triggers as our work. You know, They're our gift. A trigger, you know, <laughs> we don't love them when they happen to us because they don't feel very good, but actually a, a trigger is telling you there is something inside of you that is unresolved. And the only reason you get triggered is because something is occurring in your will that is causing a reaction in, in you that has not yet been fully nourished and healed. So your work is to figure out when you get triggered that step one is as Vip said, control that, that, ins- that, 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 that initial impulse because you have to think about the, the outcome that you want. But secondly, once you've got through that moment, take time and do some of that journaling. What is that gift there? You know, what is it in you that is allowing yourself to be triggered? Because when it's no longer an issue for you, that same situation can happen and there is no trigger. You don't feel anything anymore.
0: Totally. I'm glad you brought up journaling because that's how I do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I find, I find if things go on and I just get a piece of paper and I just start writing and I never look at that paper again, it gets all that, that energy out about why am I feeling what I'm feeling? What is that all about?
0: Seamus plug on that. So I've started doing my journal in, in a tool out there called Rome Research, but forget about that for a minute. What I've also started doing though now is um, hitting the microphone button and actually speaking it and let it get transcribed. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because I'm dyslexic as well, so I don't really like writing. But what I have found is because I'm pretty good speaking, I can actually see what I'm trying to not tell myself a lot easier through my spoken word than I can through my written word.
1: Oh. I don't know, for, the,
0: for those of you who are dyslexic out there, that might be something to think about because it, it, I, get, I get quicker to what's really blocking me through the spoken word than I do through the written word because of how my brain works. Other people will, you know, find it through art or find it through writing or whatever. But that's a, yeah, interesting observation.
1: Completely. I love that.
0: So you're going to take us to number three, Vicky. The third one. I
1: am. The third one we're calling fabulous positivity. So when you think about fabulous positivity, we're not talking Mary Poppins. We're not talking unicorns and butterflies and candy flowers, although that does sound pretty delightful. We're talking about living, living in the real world with an opti- optimistic lens on how it's all going to turn out. Now now, 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 why do we say that? So it's very easy in the world we live in these days, and actually in every era that every individual that has lived through. There's a whole bunch of stuff when you look at it that can feel completely overwhelming, traumatic. We've just had it this last year with COVID. But there is another way to look at it as well. And that is, there are always upsides whenever there are downsides. And it takes a lot more effort to dwell in the negative and the stress response than it does to look for the opportunities in those. And a little bit like the triggers are our work, it's the same situation when we're facing a time that's really, really tough. There's growth in there for us if we're willing to look for the opportunities to grow. And so we can either look at it as, as doom and gloom, how am I in this situation, why did I lose my job, what's going on in my relationships, or we can look at it as there is an opportunity here for me to grow. What is it? What can I get out of this? And how do I be realistic with the situation I'm in, but look for the opportunity and the growth there as opposed to take myself down a negative spiral? That's
0: powerful. I was actually thinking about how that impacted us last year as a business. So when the world collapsed last April, last March, April, because of of COVID, um, when I think about it, you know, after the initial shock wore off, um, we reacted pretty fabulously positive. Uh, you, know, you got to spend more time at you, more time with Jim and, and, you know, look, look out, look out, you know, less time commuting. Um, you know, I got to spend six months up in the mountains. Um, but, but also from a business point of view, we innovated our product. Yeah. And, like you know we 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 figured out that actually this provides us with an opportunity to do things in a remote way in a really interesting way that that instead of thinking about as it, you know it's horrible no one likes being on zoom how do we how do we change that experience and 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 maybe create something that makes people want to be part of those programs even while being remote but maybe for less periods of time so we you know now we have programs that work over three four five six months rather than two three days and the irony of that is actually a lot more effective because now we get to work with people for extended periods of time rather than short days when we're doing, you know, training or leadership experiences. And that's that's really interesting because we 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 actually ended up with the outcome that we wanted all along, which was these longer-term hybrid um leadership experiences that go on for months, but companies couldn't buy them because that wasn't a model that they were used to doing, but they they got good with the idea because they didn't like the idea of people being on Zoom for three days, or three days, right? So, so there's so many opportunities were, out there.
1: And they were getting the outcomes that they wanted because we got to rewire folks as they went through the journey. So you started to see real behavioral
0: shifts. And it was a differentiator for the ones that did it first from a recruitment point of view, from a, yeah. you know, even, even from a white glove point of view in terms of when we work with new executives joining companies during COVID to kind yeah. of get them inculcated into the culture and the environments that they're in. That, that That's we were able to see that as, a, as positive opportunities. And, and we grew as a, as a business off the back of that, despite being an up close and personal business. And in, in retrospect, you know, that wasn't, <laughs> that was this mentality being applied rather than some magic problem solving that we got around a whiteboard and fixed. And I think that's really okay. interesting that people don't think that, you know, we don't often think of it that way.
1: Yeah, and, and you and I have touched on this in one of our early podcasts, but you know, there's something when the chips are down where you and I kind of get really energized. You know, it's like, okay. You love it. Love it. It's like, bring it on.
0: You're <laughs> not, like, not allowed I, to admit it, but we love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not allowed to admit it because we don't want more of it. But, you know, when it happens, <laughs> there, there is an energizing factor of, okay, how do we solve for this? And it becomes this puzzle that we look at with a very curious lens. I guess we're saying curiosity is really what we're saying here as opposed to unicorns and butterflies, you know, yeah. it's accepting the reality and they're getting super curious about how do we, how do we make lemonade out of lemons that we've been given.
0: And that's such a great segue to the next one, Vicky. It's almost like right, we take, planned it.
1: Take it away, Bibs. Yeah. What's the fourth one? Okay.
0: So the fourth one I'm calling quantum thinking, not binary. And, and really the crux of this one is, is there just many ways to solve a problem any problem, and I think we've 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 we have to train ourselves to think that there isn't, or, or another expression would be, There's many ways to crack a nut. That's a very English one, I don't know if that works in the US, but we definitely use it. And that's probably one that's probably offended someone. Um, but <laughs> but the, the basic idea is, There's never one way to solve a problem, there's loads of ways of solving a problem, always. There's many, 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 many ways. It's just that we tend to get invested in whichever ones that we've spent the most time thinking about, you know, like e- even this, you know, I-, I based this on some learning that I did after doing some research and then fabula- fabulousizing it, if you like, these this framework that we're talking about today. But the reality is there's like 50 frameworks out there that, that will all ultimately get to the same place. Um, and they're all going to work. The problem is that none of us actually do them enough to make them work. You know, the the issue is with the discipline of execution more than the ability to acquire the knowledge. Um, so th- what this is really getting at is, you know, we should look at it, we, you know, any scenario is going to have more than one solution. So don't get too wedded to your one. Just recognize that that's just one of many. Yeah. And so... The way to train yourself in this respect is, hmm, I know this is one way of solving. So when you go into a meeting and you're proposing a solution, well, you know, here's one way to solve a problem that that we think might work. You know, Do you have other suggestions? Or maybe there's three options. You train yourself to think in options is basically what it boils down to. Option one, option two, option three, all of which have different pros and cons, have different consequences, and maybe different probabilities of success. But then someone else is going to look at that and you know, they may be able to build on that. They, But what it does, it stops you being so binary about, it's my way or the highway. And aside from everything else, I think that's really um, so it's a sign of good leadership when, when you know, that's how you balance the willingness to listen and the willingness to collaborate with then being able to make effective decision when a decision has to be made and we have to move on. But it starts from, there isn't one way to solve a problem.
1: And... This becomes really important for those that pride themselves on having a high intellect because they take their identity from their intelligence. And, you know, this could be engineers, this could be actuaries, this could be accountants, those in the legal profession, anyone who prides themselves on their intellect as a core part of their identity. It becomes so easy to focus in on, well, I know the right way, I know how we should do this because... I've done all the research. I've figured it out. So you should do it my way. But that doesn't help everybody else because there are so many ways to solve a problem. And it's one of the really interesting things to solve, not only in an organization, but in a family
0: situation as well. Well, I think also the reality also is that so much of the time we're not dealing with... We're, sometimes we're dealing with problems that have solutions. But usually we're just trying to manage between... Trade-offs. Trade-offs, yeah. So, yeah. you know how aspirational do I want to be versus, if I'm trying to articulate what ThinkShift does, how aspirational do I want to be about what we want to do 10 years from now versus how accurate do I want to be about the things that we do today, right? And the reality is somewhere in the middle. I, I've got to, I, I, being too accurate about what we're doing now is not going to be very inspirational or aspirational to others. On the other hand, if I make it too aspirational, I'm living in cloud cuckoo land and we have no ability to execute. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a continuum that's being managed. And, you know, we all do that. I mean, how successful do you want to be? How much money do you want to earn relative to how much time you want to work? How, how, how flexible do you want your life to be relative to, you know, that's going to constrain certain environments that maybe give you a lot of predictability. You know, so a lot of these things are actually being managed, we're managing across a continuum rather than necessarily a solve. And I, th- I think we, it's very easy our brains like it, and it's easier to communicate. Our, we want to communicate our intelligence to people because we fetishize the idea that good problem solvers equals good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and we need that. Don't get me wrong. We need good problem solvers, but we also need good problem solvers for very complex and chaotic landscapes. And that's a whole different ballgame to, you know, how to write a good report. Yeah,
1: that feels like its own podcast, Vips.
0: All right, maybe next time. Or maybe a quantum <laughs> podcast.
1: Quantum podcast. All right, so now we know there are also a number of strengths that you need to have as you're thinking about emotional kevlar. So talk us through the first one.
0: Yeah, so so the, I call these core strengths only because I th- you know I was thinking about working out and it's like you know these these are like if your core's broken, it doesn't really matter what else you do. It was so I thought I thought of them that way. Um, I, in the first one, I mean. Anyone that's worked with us or knows us who's sat on any one of our podcasts know this is going to come up, and that's really self accountability. Uh, you know what we call what we call the inside out mentality. How much are you going to? How much are you prepared to own your own decisions and your own choices? Uh, you know, if you say you're going to work on something, are you really going to work on something, or are you just going to pretend to work on something and then complain that you have not enough time? You know. Self, for anything that we do, if we're going to create emotional Kevlar, we have to be really, really honest with ourselves and hold ourselves accountable for, for you know, not getting defensive when someone gives us feedback that we don't want, um, not getting angry at them because we're angry with ourselves, um, um, not, avoiding, not avoiding those sorts of actions to help others just because we're worried that they're going to react in a negative way.
1: Well, it, it ties to one of our four Ds, which is about being deliberate. It does. One of the key. It does. One of the key traits of, of a fabulous leader.
0: Yeah, I mean, so sitting underneath that is very much our non-negotiables and four Ds, um, which I guess everyone can go listen to those podcasts. But yeah. But but this is why you know those four Ds and non-negotiables are so important because. You, Put another way, if you don't have the non-negotiables and the four Ds, you're likely to be able to build emotional Kevlar is low.
1: Yeah, and then you're gonna live in this world of, of chaos and extremes and fear and everything else that's not fun.
0: Yeah, Your universe is not gonna be a pleasant place. No. <laughs> that's the way I would describe it. So yeah, yeah that's the self-accountability bit. You're right, it's- Vicky.
1: Because when you have that emotional Kevlar, you're still in reality, but you're able to be a little separate from reality and be able to navigate your way through it in a healthy way.
0: Yeah. Or another way of just saying it is it's, you know, there's so many stories of people who've been in really adverse situations, but still managed to summon an inner sense of peace and joy. And then there's <laughs> people like us who by all intents and purposes are very wealthy who find a way to be miserable, right? That... that, that that's crazy. Like people, people who are miserable are going to find a way to be miserable, whether it's over a chess match or whether it's over their jobs. They're going to find a way. And in the same way as when you've got high emotional Kevlar, you're going to find a way to not let other people get you down.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. It's kind of like thinking about it as a little shield around you that you're able to navigate through this world.
0: Oh, Vicky, I've got to tell you a funny one, right? So my, the person that can trigger me most in this world is my sister, right? You've met her, the one in Italy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No one can trigger me like she can. She's been able to trigger me since I was like, whatever, three years old, right? And and because she's very high red in whole brain terms, very, very, you know. So I, for me, my point of view, I can't have a rational conversation without her resorting to tears and all hell's going to break loose, right? So that's historically when I was a kid. So now, so the emotional kevlar is really interesting. So I took that action and I direct it now to... Whenever she does something to trigger me, I'm just going to laugh. <laughs> right? Now, it makes my life a lot better. It really pisses her off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's but- like, I can't make him cry anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's very interesting. So, you know, like I told, but I, I, to, I talked to Carla, so the way I diffuse that and not, so now I, do, I don't... <clears throat> You know, I don't laugh at her. I, I don't do that in front of her anymore because that's offensive. But what I will do is talk to Carla about it afterwards and laugh with her about it. And it's like, oh, that's so mumble, Right? And we we laugh about it. But the point is it's been dealt with and it's no longer negative for her, negative for me. It's now been turned into something that is something something we cherish. It's mm-hmm. uh and now I see the benefit of that. Like she can she can engage and 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 talk to people and help people that I can't because Of those characteristics.
1: That's a great example of it.
0: Yeah, very personal one. Hope she doesn't listen to this one. (laughs) I'll go a browner shade of red.
1: Well, you delivered it beautifully, so I think she would be proud if you did. All right, so the second core strength then is is empathy. So this has always been important, but as Vix mentioned earlier, it's so important because executives are now having to deal with situations, whether it's the racial tensions the injustice all the different situations that are going on the violence in our world that before they wouldn't talk about it was an h r no no and now they have to have a conversation about it we know how how sensitive people are to the various the various triggers that are happening in the world whether it is covid whether they are at home alone whether they are being impacted by some of these external factors and so this degree of empathy becomes so much more important where we are willing not just to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, but really go into their shoes. There's no point in me being Vicky in Vips' shoes. You know, that doesn't help me really understand Vips. You know, to know Vips, I've got to understand how he grew up, what his belief structures are, his sisters, the whole relationship that he describes with them, in order for me to really understand why Vips sees the world the way he does. And do that in a way where there's no judgment. You know, I'm able to have those conversations and empathize. And the reason it's so important is because if we don't have empathy, then we can just feel like we are cold. You know, we've got this lovely emotional Kevlar around us. We're living in the world but not of the world. But if we can't empathize with others and understand what they're going through without necessarily being sucked into the emotion of what they're going through, and that's, again, a fine line then we can just feel like we are, we are cold, we're insensitive, we're not able to, to help them navigate the world in the way that they need. So a really core skill for our fabulous individuals.
0: Vicky, what percentage of your time and energy on a given week do you think you should be able to tag as I've worked on my empathy?
1: At least, I mean, it depends on your levels. So At the superstar performer level, it should be about 20%. And then as you're getting up to an executive, probably about 40% or more. And when we say that, it's spending time in one-on-one situations, getting to know others and getting to know the, the other side of the equation and, and the other perspectives and really putting yourself in those shoes. That's what I would say, Vips.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, I just thought it'd be helpful for people to kind of have some gauge of a oh God I don't do that at all. Or I, I thought I was doing really well because I had two conversations this month, you know, and, and people, people, people don't realize that these are integrated into, so there's a one-on-one aspect, but there's also, you might be in a group meeting and then you might have a little sidebar or, or you might go and have a coffee or, you know, they, they, are, they, need, they work best when the, these moments are interwoven into your day-to-day routines rather than tasks.
1: And it becomes hard because the world values tasks. The world values efficiency. (laughs) So all this feels like, like, well, when the hell am I going to find 40% more capacity, Becky, to do this? It's like, no, you start there. You have to start there or you won't be successful.
0: Yeah. And what I would say is so we're hypocrites like that. And what I mean, I mean, we as businesses are hypocrites like that because we fetishize throughput, tasks, execution earlier on, superstar, performer, awesome manager, right? And we just expect you to turn it on when you become a VP. And it's like, that's a bit like, you know.
1: And still do your tasks. Yeah,
0: I, and possibly still do your tasks. Or, or you haven't learned how not to do your tasks because that's all that's been valued to that point. And, and it, it's, 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 you know, we, these are, there are systemic problems inside most organizations in terms of this leveling up. And, you know, this is, if you like, the negative consequence of fetishizing the flat environment, right? People talk about, we we like flat environments that are non-hierarchical and so forth. Yes, but, yeah, they work really, really well if you want to churn and burn. They don't work really well if you want to create um,
1: sustainability
0: and structure over time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah?
0: But we don't want to, so, you know, we're very good. We're very good at inventing these terms that, that become very sexy that, that, that seemed really good because that's what people want. That's what employees want. But then we don't realize how much damage we're causing two, three, four, five years down the road. And at which point, at that point, you know, I've had so many people come back to me and say, "Well, why weren't we? T- why wasn't I told this before? Why was I managed this way before?" Well, it's because your companies took that management overhead out the system because they wanted you to be efficient, and you wanted direct access to two, three levels up. So you wanted flat environment. So we gave you a flat environment now you know, reap what you sow kind of thing. And, yeah. and
1: the consequences. The con-
0: you know, no one wants to think about that upfront because they want the instant gratification. And that's yes. the challenge with emotional Kevlar is there is no instant gratification way of solving it. This is like...
1: <laughs> well, it's, interesting, it's interesting you say that. I was, I was doing one of my shift up programs and, and I was in the gnarly day two yesterday. And someone said, you know, this is all great, but like, how do we make it practical? Like, where, where are the shortcuts? How do we, how do we make those shifts you're talking about? And it's like... No, 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 no. Leadership is hard. <laughs> there aren't the shortcuts to get there. You've got to put in the work.
0: And if you're not prepared to do that, then don't pretend that you are a fabulous person. That's okay. Yeah. Check out. Yeah? yeah. Do your job. Do it well. Yeah. Lead a good life. But don't kid yourself into thinking that you're, you know, you're, the, you're a next executive or you're a, a, a next founder or a next entrepreneur because you won't be. Yeah. It's, it's, gonna take harsh, what it? it's gonna
1: take. Good God! No, yeah,
0: we said that in the context of empathy. Now I feel really guilty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, again, it's back to reality. You know, there's, there's the. You don't want to over-empathise. You know, you don't want to put yourself so much in their shoes that you're not in the reality of, of what you're trying to create here with emotional kevlar. So again, it's one of our Goldilocks moments. You have got to get it just right. So I, I think also, the...
0: also a lot of people uh, mess up on this one because they confuse sympathy with empathy.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel
0: really sympathetic. With this person, therefore, I'm going to cut some slack or whatever, and it's not the same as no. empathizing. Yeah, empathizing is just
1: seeing it the way they see it. So, Pips, what is our third and final core strength?
0: Yeah, and this is really okay. So, you've got to have a mechanism if you're working on this, and, and we're talking about emotional kevlar here, right? And emotions are unpredictable. You know, whether they're positive emotions, negative emotions, or somewhere in between. Either way, they're gonna they're gonna fill your cup or they're gonna take your cup away, right? I mean, there's no so. When you're dealing with this stuff, it's, going to t- it's hard. You know, you're going to get angry. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get... Um, someone's going to trigger you. It's not going to be pleasant sometimes. Okay? So all of that's going to build up as toxicity. So the last one is really a problem solved as a problem halved. Okay? Now it sounds obvious. You probably had parents who told you that before. I, my mother used to tell me that in Gujarati once upon a time. But, but, but the basic idea is that you've got to talk to someone because... because you ha- a because you need to talk to someone to to talk it out, but also because it acts as an exhaust channel to get rid of all that toxicity from your own head. Now you've got to pick those people that are going to take that toxicity away and not and not turn it into methane. Yeah, yeah, not feed it. Uh, yeah. yeah. So this is why you know we talk about having a personal advisory board or surrounding yourself with the kinds of people that 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 are there to help and support you through those, not add to your misery and add to your noise. And again, so a problem shared is a problem halved is wonderful, but again, you don't wanna do that with people that over empathize or sympathize with you because they're just gonna make you feel even worse about what you're going through. And that's not yeah. what you want. So yeah. um, you, you, you need people around you who are gonna remove that toxicity. And this is where, you know, actively managing your, you know, what I call your personal advisory board. We at Think Shift call your personal advisory board, but think of this as your, you know, I always have the picture of in one of the Star Wars movies and I think, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is trying to get permission from the Jedi Council to train Anakin. I think it's, the, I think it's episode one in the the probably the worst movie of the lot, but they're in this like virtual reality room and they've got like a council of these like, you know, wise Jedi of which, you know, Yoda is floating um, on his pulpit. And and that is the advisory board right there. You got different people, and they're all, they're all, they're all looking at it from a different perspective. And but they're not, they're not, um, they're measured, they're calm, they're trying to work through. Uh, they're not, they're not trying to light, they're not trying to put lighter fluid on the issue. And I mean, that's kind of you know, create your own Jedi council if you like, right? There's there's something yeah. to be said for that idea because it's a, it's a way of creating sanity for yourself.
1: And what's good about that example of the Jedi Council is you can tell it's not just a group of friends, right? It's, it's, not, it's not just find people in your world and tell them what's going on. You know, it's very carefully selected people who are going to give you a very different perspective that are going to help you through that situation in a way that's helpful to you. That's right. And, what's, and where you're going.
0: You know what I call that? Surround yourself with people in your advisory board that are happy to call bullshit on you. Mm-hmm. And not just happy, I mean, and you respect the fact that they call bullshit on you, right? That, that's, that's, that's a very powerful I'm set of people of to accumulate yeah. throughout your career. And I wish junior people did this more. And this is why I don't think that, that things like networking, these are not optional things. This is where you, that's your discovery mechanism. Because um, you, you, you're gonna have to have a group of people that are high trust individuals as part of your your circle at some point going forward. Yeah. Those are the seven, Vicky.
1: Okay, so just a quick reminder, the seven that we touched on are firstly internal regulation, making sure you redirect that viable and channel your emotions appropriately. The second is to learn to intercept the trigger. So when you feel it, look down, smile, laugh as Vips does.
0: (laughs) Right, whatever
1: you, right. Whatever you're going to do, rather than uh, than do or say something that you're going to regret afterwards. The third is I'm still retain... learning that one, Vicky. Oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's a lifetime's worth of work. When we have no triggers, more triggers appear.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, fabulous positivity. We touched on as well is 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 maintaining a positive outlook an optimistic outlook while being realistic in the world you live in. And the fourth is quantum thinking, rather than binary. Many ways to solve a problem. And then we dove into the core strengths of emotional kevlar: your self-accountability, making sure you do what you say you're going to do. So that would be, <laughs> hmm? be your abs.
0: That would be your abs.
1: Empathy was the next one, and sharing your problems with a, an, the Jedi Council, your advisory board.
0: I guess that's your left obliques. <laughs>
1: there we go alright so I'm going to set you guys a a challenge on this one, we love the Vicky challenge so over the next 30 days look for 5 situations for a issue that you really care about and we're we're going to go for number 4 so quantum thinking not binary so for that issue that you really care about, choose 5 situations over the next 30 days and go and research other perspectives Go and research different points of view and see what you find.
0: Got some examples, Vicky?
1: Well, you could be disagreeing with a decision made by someone in your organisation. You may want to go research what are the perspectives that flowed into that decision making. Vaccinations is a big one right now, Vips. There's so many perspectives on that. Economies, should they reopen, should they not reopen? Travel, should that happen, should that not happen? there's so many right now that's awesome okay so with that you guys we've had a lot of fun with this one this beautiful topic of emotional kevlar the second of our themes we'll see you next time on our third third theme which is all about adaptability and reskilling. you know why does this mean more than ever so with that i wish you all well and be fabulous
0: be fabulous everyone see you soon